I'm excited this morning we get to begin a, uh, a new series for the next few weeks. We're going to look at matters of the heart. And uh, some of you who follow us on Facebook got to help choose our graphic. We had two graphics from which to choose, had a fun poll. And uh, I was surprised how close it was. It was very close. But this is the graphic that won out by 57% of the vote. So this is our new graphic for the series coming, Matters of the Heart. What I want us to do over the next few weeks as we consider Matters of the Heart is I want to show you in Scripture uh, uh, different verses. We're not even going to get anywhere close to looking at all of them, but I want to show you some of the verses that speak to and about the human heart. There are a lot of verses in Scripture that talk about our hearts, and so I want us to look at those together over the next few weeks. And this morning, we're going to start where I think we have to start, and we're going to flip the script a little bit. The series is Matters of the Heart, so this morning we're going to get right to the heart of the matter. We want to start right at the heart of the matter. And that phrase is familiar to us. I thought about it for a little bit, and I, I said, I wonder, I wonder what most people think when they hear that phrase. And so I, I went to uh, that great realm of education and theology, Wikipedia. And Wikipedia says that the matter of the heart is a phrase that means it's the most important, basic, and fundamental essence of an issue and that fits perfectly with where I want us to go this morning we're going to think about our faith and realize that when it comes to our faith we want to get to the heart of the matter the most important basic fundamental essence of an issue what is the basic essence of Christian faith so how do we get to that heart of the matter when it deals with our faith? I want to show you in Mark chapter 7, there are three things that we can learn from Mark chapter 7 that will help us get to the heart of the matter, beginning in verse 1. He says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now, before we go too quickly, I have to stop already in verse 1. Did you notice it says that the Pharisees came to him and they brought with them some of the scribes from Jerusalem? The reason that's significant is they were not just hanging out where Jesus happened to be. They left headquarters and found Jesus on purpose. And they brought some of the scribes with them. Now, they brought scribes with them because scribes were the experts in, in the written word. They, they were the experts who read it and wrote it all the time. It was their job to make copies of the scriptures. And so they knew the scriptures very well. And so they were kind of, the Pharisees are kind of showing up saying, hey, we've got our experts here. And we are, the Pharisees, were experts in the law the right and wrong, the rules. And so it said that they, they came to Jesus from Jerusalem. You see, back in, in Mark chapter 3, 
we find a, a, a quick little reference there that says the Pharisees decided that it was time to get Jesus. They got so upset with Jesus that they decided it was time to find a way to get him. And now in chapter 7, we see one of the, one of the examples of how they were going to do that. They're out to get Jesus. Understand, this is not a sincere conversation. They do not want to learn from the Lord they want to trap Jesus. And so they show up with the scribes close by so the scribes might write down what happens and the scribes can argue the, the, the literal uh, word that, that, they're, that they're so familiar with. The Pharisees are ready to argue the law because they're experts at it. And it said when they got there, they saw that some of the disciples, uh, of Jesus' disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. And understand as well, you and I wash our hands before we eat so that they're clean. And we don't want to put dirt in our mouths. That's why we wash our hands. Not the case here. This is not about cleanliness. This is not about hygiene. This is about law. And the law said that before you ate, before you participate in certain ceremonies before you did certain things you, your hands had to be washed in a certain way the water had to come from a certain kind of uh, of container and you had to hold your hands up at a certain way and pour the water over this really makes sense because if you put your hands down in it well then the water's running around and even if it's clean here the water gets back and the dirty water gets over I, I understand all that so it said you had to pick it up this way and pour water on top so that the, now that this is clean, only clean water's coming down. You're not washing dirt back onto your hands. So you had to hold it up, wash this, and you'd even use your fist to, to clean up real good and then clean up this way. There's a specific way that it had to be done. But the point is it's all ceremony. It's all the law. It's the rule. And so the Pharisees show up and they think they finally got a way to get Jesus. Ah, your disciples don't obey the rules. Now we've got you. You see, it's important to the Pharisees to get Jesus because they want him dead. But what happens when, when a leader of a faith movement that is changing lives and making the world better, what happens when a leader of that kind of movement is put to death? That leader becomes a martyr, and the group he led becomes stronger. So what the Pharisees have to do is they have to, they have to make him look bad in front of his own people first. Remove the power of martyrdom. So now his own people see him as a rule-breaking, dirty person. Now we don't care if you kill him. That's what's happening in verse 1 into verse 2. You have, to, you have to know kind of the background to understand the point, that they're not concerned about learning from the Lord. They are concerned about making sure that they find a way to get him. They're concerned about the rules. And what they noticed had nothing to do with the faith or the belief or the commitment of the disciples. All they could see was the outward activity. 
of the disciples. And that helps us understand the first thing that I want you to notice. How do you get to the heart of the matter when we're talking about faith? How do you get to the heart of the matter? Well, you stop focusing on surface issues. See, that was what was happening here. They, they were looking at the outside, the, the behavior. They were looking at the surface issues, and they thought they could make a point. And what we're learning is that if we're going to get to the heart of our faith, the heart of the matter when it deals with our faith, we can't just focus on the surface issues. Let's continue the story. We're, we're finally to verse 3. For the Pharisees and all the Jews... Do not eat unless they wash their hands properly. And by the way, that the, the literal translation of that word properly is with the fist. They don't, they don't do, they don't eat, they don't do these things until they have washed with the fist. That was the, the, the proper way, the ceremonial way that it was done. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of the cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. Notice that... that Mark does a, a favor for those of us who did not grow up in that Jewish tradition. This is in parentheses. Verses 3 and 4 are parenthetical because what he's doing is explaining it to the rest of us. Those of us who were left out of the tradition, we didn't grow up that way. He's explaining it to us. And so he says, the reason these guys made a big deal about washing is because that's where we come from. It's our tradition, he says. It's the tradition of the elders in verse 3. And then in verse 4, he says there are many other traditions that they observe. And I want you to, to notice the emphasis on tradition. So in verse 5, the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? but eat with defiled hands. You see, we often focus on things that we can see easily. In other words, we decide to settle for focusing on surface issues. Here is Jesus, and he is opening the truths of the kingdom to people who need to know him and need to know God, and the Pharisees are worried about whether or not they jumped through the right hoops and obeyed the traditions. You see the difference. Jesus is getting to the heart of the believer. And the Pharisees and scribes want to focus on surface issues. Now, understand we do the same thing far too easily. We can only see surface stuff, and so often we settle for focusing on the stuff we can see. And so we determine how holy someone is based on what they wear when they show up for church or how big their Bible is or if they're carrying the right translation of the Bible or, or what they do with their hands during worship. 
It's all surface stuff. It's the stuff we notice, and so it's the stuff we pay attention to, but it's surface stuff. And we need to recognize that it's, that's just the surface issue. It's not the heart of the matter. We need to remember what we hear in 1 Samuel. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You and I might settle for surface issues, but God never settles for surface issues. He sees straight to the heart. And so when we're looking down our noses at somebody who, who's doing things differently, not obeying the traditions, somebody who's, who's not doing things my way, we look down our noses at that person, God is not even noticing the stuff that's bothering us. He's looking at the heart, and if the person over there is sincere, the person over there loves him, then God's connecting with him. We just can't see it because we're looking at surface stuff. Look at verses 6 and 7. He says, And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. He calls them hypocrites. That word does not mean what most people think it means. The most popular excuse for not coming to church or being angry at the church is, well, I don't like those hypocrites. Okay, now as soon as you say that, you just judged people for apparently judging you, and in so doing, you have reached the epitome of hypocrisy by judging someone about being judgmental. You're a hypocrite too, so just come and join us. We're all happy hypocrites. Let's have a good time. See, the point is what most people think is hypocrisy is not the hypocrisy, it's humanity. It's being human. So let's all give each other a little bit of a break, huh? Hypocrisy, in the Greek word, meant to wear a mask. It was a word that was not a negative word at first. It's a word that meant we're going to see a play. And back then, they didn't have lights and makeup. Back then, when you went to see a play, the actors would put on a mask. This mask is Dr. Jones. Now I'm going to put on this mask. This mask is Mr. Smith. And you knew the characters in the play because they wore a mask. Well, that actor who now had a mask on was called a hypocrite. Not a negative word at first. But Jesus now uses that as an illustration. He says, Pharisees, you are like actors in a play. You put on a mask and you make sure everybody sees how holy you are. And you say the right things. And you jump through the, the, the right hoops. And understand he is not saying that they don't believe God. He's saying what makes you a hypocrite is you think the mask is all that matters. You think the outward appearance is all that, 
that is important, the surface issues. And you're mad because my disciples don't wear the right mask. They don't worry about the surface issues the way you do. And then he says, as he quotes Isaiah, this is, this is, hurt, this is painful to hear. Because it scares me that, that so many of us might hear this as well. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You and I make a mistake when we think showing up on Sunday at 1015 is Christianity. Friends, if, there, if your heart isn't in what happens at 1015, then it's just lip service. It's just external. There's nothing more than surface issues. And lip service is not what God wants. It doesn't do anything for him, and he doesn't honor it. So you can come and sing the right songs and say the right stuff, but if the worship isn't coming from the heart, you've wasted your time and he hasn't paid attention. Psalm 78 speaks to this very thing and to some of us, but they flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward him. Jesus says, Pharisees and Sadducees, as you come looking at, for us and you focus on surface issues, you are giving God lip service. You're, you're, you're focusing on, on the wrong thing, the outward stuff, the visible stuff. Visible religious activity is not Christianity. When it comes to our faith, we want to get to the heart of the matter. And to do that, we're not going to settle for focusing on surface issues. We're also going to think about another thing that we can do. If we're going to get to the heart of the matter as it deals with our faith, don't confuse our ideas for God's ideas. Did you hear how many times Jesus made the point that this was tradition? I said Jesus, really Mark was the one who was writing at that point. How many times Mark made the point that this was their tradition? That they were trying to hold people accountable to tradition? Look with me as we begin at verse 8. He says, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. This is Jesus. And he said, you leave the commandment, you leave the ideas of God because you now have made so important the traditions of men. Now that tradition of washing the hands and all of that, that was tradition that was based on law. But look at his example and we see that their tradition can overrule law. Verse 9, he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles his father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father and mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God, 
then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. There was an Old Testament law that said, if you make an oath to God, keep that oath. That's pretty simple, isn't it? If you make an oath to God, keep that oath. So what these dudes did was they found a loophole in the law. And they said, if you set aside your money, your possessions, whatever you have, you set aside, you say that's an oath to God. Well, now, based on that Old Testament law, now that oath to God is protected. So here comes a poor person. Hey, poor person, I'd love to help you, but I'm sorry. It's already marked for God. It's Corbine. It's marked. Oh, mom and dad, you don't, you don't have enough money to pay the bills? I'm sorry. I'd love to help you, mom, dad, but I, it's, it's marked for God. It was a loophole. And by setting aside that Corbine, that, that, that oath to God, in essence, they gave permission to break all kinds of other laws including showing respect to mom and dad. And then after giving that one example, did you hear Jesus says, and many such things you do. That's one example, but you have a whole long list of doing this. You create traditions that actually counteract God's word and his law. And the problem is that we confuse our ideas for God's ideas. And you and I do the same thing. You know when you're at church and you want to clap your hands, what's the first thing you think? Are other people clapping their hands? Is this a hand-clapping church? What happens if people clap in this church? You want to obey Scripture and raise your hands during worship? Did you know that's, that's instructed in Scripture? And what do we do? Why? Because tradition. Tradition. When you first come to a new church, what are you thinking? You're thinking, how quickly can I pick up on the traditions? What do people in this church wear? When do you stand up and when do you sit down? And who gets to decide that? You see... You and I need to recognize that we have tradition. Tradition is not bad. Tradition unites a group. Tradition is good. But it becomes false religion when we allow tradition to become more important than what God is telling us to do. We have to be very careful that we are not a people of tradition as much as we are a people of God. 
So don't confuse our ideas for God's ideas. You remember the story of the, of the mom who is teaching her daughter how to, how to cook? And the mom gets the ham, and she cuts the ends off the ham. You remember the old story? Right? And the daughter says, how come you cut the ends off the ham? Well, that's the way mama did it. I don't know. So they go and see grandma. Grandma, why did you cut the ends off the ham? I don't know. That's the way mom did it. They go see great-grandma. Great-grandma, why do you cut the ends off the ham? Because I had a small pot, and that was the only way to make the ham fit. We have no, I, I don't think, unless we pay close attention, I don't think we realize how much of what we do is not inspired, directed, or commanded by God. It is based on our tradition. Again, tradition is not bad, but let's be careful enough to separate the two. And it's important for us to do that because we too carefully judge one another based on surface stuff, based on tradition. And we cannot hold each other accountable as if you are sinful by breaking our tradition. Now, we absolutely can and should hold one another accountable to those things that God instructs of his people. There's an important difference. Every once in a while, I will hear somebody say, of another denomination, another tradition. Every once in a while, I'll hear somebody talk about another denomination, and they'll say, those people do the same thing every week, and they don't even know why they do it. Friends, I love you enough to tell you, so do we. <laughs> we do the same thing every week and don't even know why. Do you know why we pass the plate? For the offering instead of using a bucket? Do you know why in most services we offer a public invitation when a lot of churches don't? Do you know why the pulpit is in the middle of the room instead of to the side? We do stuff every week and don't know why. Tradition can unite us, but it can also divide us. And when tradition divides us on something that's not based on God's direction, we got a problem. So don't confuse our ideas and God's ideas. And then finally, in order for us to get to the heart of the matter of our faith, we have to deal with matters of the heart. Let's pick it up at verse 14, and we'll be done soon. He called the people to him again. Now notice this time he calls the people. The Pharisees and, I'm sorry, Pharisees and scribes already did their thing. They attacked. Jesus handled them, shut them down. And now he's going to use that as a learning opportunity, and so this time he calls the people to him. He calls the people to himself and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going 
into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not in his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. Notice that's another parenthesis. That's there for us. He said, you can't, there's nothing outside that you can put inside that will defile you. That's not what makes you unclean. What makes you unclean is what's going on in the heart. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. It's not about surface stuff. It's not about tradition stuff. It's about what's happening in the heart. And here, these same guys that had, had, had talked to him about making sure you wash your hands before you eat, he said, well, let's think about what you're about to eat because there are certain things you will eat, certain things you won't eat because you think that by eating that, you're defiling your body when all along, your heart is all dirty inside anyway. You see, he says, he calls us to deal with the matters of the heart. What's happening on the inside is what determines what we do, how we behave, who we are. Did you know that the first sin was not Adam and Eve eating the fruit? That was not the first sin. The first sin was Adam and Eve deciding to eat the fruit. It was something that happened in their heart first. In their heart, they decided, hey, we kind of like this idea about being more like God and doing things our way. Their heart changed first. And it's from the heart moving out that we defile ourselves. You see, there's a common mistake, and that is thinking that righteous living makes me righteous. It's a mistake to think righteous living makes me righteous. Righteous living simply demonstrates that, I'm a good, that, that I can be a good person, that I can do good things. But it doesn't make me righteous in the terms of right with God. That's backwards. First, you get right with God in the heart. And then righteous living is a result of that. It doesn't work the other way around. That if I live right, I'll be right? No. You be right. And then you'll live right. That's what I was sharing with the kids. It's, yeah, God wants you to be good. Yes. But more than that, he wants you to love him. He wants you to be committed. He wants you to be wholeheartedly in tune with him. Who you are is determined not by what you do, but what's in your heart. That's why David prayed a prayer that many of us need to pray this morning. Create in me a clean heart, O God. 
Renew a right spirit in me. Do something new in my life, God, because my heart is messed up. I got a heart problem that I can't fix. So God created me a clean heart. That from a clean heart, I'll not be or do those things that would defile me. We're going to get to the heart of the matter when it deals with our faith. We get to the heart of the matter by uh, not focusing on the surface issues, by not confusing our ideas and God's ideas, and by go ahead and being real enough to deal with the matters in our hearts. God, we want to thank you for loving us all the way through. You don't stop at what we do, the surface stuff, but you love us all the way through. And we're grateful. Help us to really love you back. 